I really just identified myself with the job. I, I would work crazy hours. I would just want to give my all to it. And eventually got to a place where I figured out like, I am just one of so many in here. And this watering myself down, not saying what I actually want is really draining me, is really taking a lot out of me and really just realizing I need to change something. This formula that I was given has served me to a point, but now I have to figure something else out. Welcome to the Early Career Moves podcast, the show that highlights remarkable BIPOC young professionals killing it on their career journeys. I'm your host, Priscilla Esquivel-Bolcha, Latinx career coach, corporate consultant, daughter of immigrants, and lover of breakfast tacos. Meet me for a coffee chat every Friday as we either dive into a special guest story or I'll share my own career gems. If you're a BIPOC professional feeling lost in your career or just need a dose of inspiration, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, how's it going? Happy October, happy spooky season. I love this time of year. I'm trying my best to capture some of this like fall, you know, vibes, like 60s sweater weather. So that's what I'm trying to do. I also am headed to Nashville this weekend and I've never been to Nashville. So really excited to hopefully get some of that like fall energy, you know, pumpkin spice latte basicness in my my life. Um, so that's what's up with my life. Other than that, things are good. Today's episode is so good, especially for my listeners who identify as either immigrants, child of immigrants, first, second generation Americans, or whatever. Like Nicole Cruz brings it today with her personal story and her wisdom. So I'll tell you a little bit about her. Nicole Cruz is a Filipina American. She's a daughter of immigrants. She literally immigrated to the U.S. in the womb of her mother. She's a life and leadership coach. She works with women of color. She works with children of immigrants to help them turn off autopilot and to be able to seek liberation agency and their full powerful self identities. So what does this really mean? Well, check out the episode. Nicole talks about her own story, what she had to deprogram from what she learned as a child of immigrants growing up. I think a lot of us who have this experience, this will sound very familiar trying to do what our parents did, embracing that hustle culture and living in that survival mindset, trying to pinch every penny and seek financial security and stability and just work so hard to make our parents so proud. And then sometimes what happens is we get to that point and we're like, wait a wait a second, like this isn't actually what I wanted, you know, And, and then that's where we have to do a lot of work. And I think Nicole helps a lot of people do that. So can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. I thought it was super powerful. Um, but yeah, let's get into the episode. Hey, before we head into today's episode, I want to encourage you to follow us on Instagram at ECM Podcast. Also head over to ecmpodcast.com where you can get freebies, read the latest ECM blog post, and sign up for our monthly newsletter. And if you or someone you know is looking for one-on-one career coaching, you can sign up to work with me on my website. Lastly, if you're a big fan and supporter of the show, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how we can reach other people. Okay, let's head into the show. 
Hey, Nicole, welcome to the show. Hi, Priscilla. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Where are you calling us from? So currently I'm in San Diego and my husband and I are actually kind of full-time travelers. So we're here for now and then wow. we'll be moving somewhere else uh, in a few months. That's amazing. I love San Diego. It's so gorgeous there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so did you grow up in California? Are you a California native? Yeah. So I grew up in the Bay Area actually. Um, born and raised in the Bay Area, in the East Bay, Oakland, Richmond. I spent a couple years in the Philippines, actually, and the Galog was actually my first language, and then came back to the States when I was like four or five, and really have just been in California ever since. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, happy to have you. I'm so excited to have you share about your own uh, career journey, personal journey, and how it's led you to life coaching women of color today. So let's get started with just hearing a little bit about how you grew up, what your background is, how you identify, and take us to your college story, where you went to college. Yeah, I'm happy to dig in and share. So I am the daughter of Filipino immigrants. So I actually immigrated here in my mom's womb when she was like in her third trimester flying from the Philippines to California. And I very much grew up in, I learned Tagalog, which is the main Filipino language as my first language. And then when I started going to school in the California and all of that, I remember getting teased about it. Mm-hmm. I eventually just told my parents only speak English to me. And so unfortunately, I lost my Tagalog language and in order to learn English. And so I feel like that kind of sets the tone of like the assimilation that I think our family really felt pressured to to live by. And so we lived a very like American life in California. My mom had a corporate job and I was going to private school and all of that. And it wasn't until I was in high school that I had like Filipino friends and I'm like, oh, wait, <laughs> like <laughs> there's something to like being around people who are of your culture and who understand mm-hmm. you. Whereas I think a lot of times growing up, I was like, well, I just want to fit in. Right. I just want to blend in and be like everyone else. And so that kind of jump started reclaiming my heritage a bit. And so I was taught being the daughter of immigrants, education is really important. Getting good grades is really important. And so I did that to like the utmost. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I, I'll do all the extracurricular, all the honors classes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And really wanted to make my family proud. And listening to some of your your earlier podcast episodes, Priscilla, I can I I know that resonates with a lot of folks also. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really think about what I wanted. It was really just like, oh, this is the formula that my family told me to follow. So I'm gonna follow it because I want to make them happy. And really that served me to get good grades and get into Um, a good college where I went to UC Irvine and it helped to motivate me to keep working hard, which was all great. Right. In college, I, I ended up again, another example of like me just doing the things and not really stopping and like asking myself what I want. I didn't know what to major in. I had no idea. So I asked my mom and she's like, major in international studies. And I was like, (laughs) Okay. <laughs> like, That's sure. amazing. 
I love that so much because that that is basically how I chose my major too. Like mm. I was just like, what do I do? And I was like, I think my friend was like, political science is really interesting. You should do it. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know. It's my junior year. I have to pick something. Let's sure. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And so I graduated from UC Irvine and I was the first in my family um, to graduate from um, a college here. And I just remember my family being so proud and happy for me. And then I was thinking, okay, what do I do with this? <laughs> like, what do I do with this degree? <laughs> and really just started temping at a job and then ended up staying at that company for 11 years. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You just stayed there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the values that were really instilled in me of financial security, stability, really all of the things that an immigrant family really prioritize, right, is the safety, security, food, water, shelter, all of those things. And so I I picked this temp job and like, I'm just going to do this until I find what I really want to do, what I really want to do. And then they offered me a full-time position. Um with a pretty decent starting salary. I'm like, okay, I'll just do this until I figure out what I really want to do. And I kept telling that to myself for the next decade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so when you graduated, did you graduate into the recession or was it like a pretty good um, economic time? So I graduated in 05. So it was before the recession and there were still a lot of opportunities. However, I actually didn't give myself a chance to look at all the opportunities. Mm -hmm. I just was looking at like what was in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just so hard to know what exists. And I think even back then in 05, and even when I graduated, which was 2010, I just don't think that there was a lot of information out there on the internet about like what the actual jobs were. And I just didn't feel like there was a lot of transparency around it. Yeah, totally. There was an 05. We were still working on like MySpace, (laughs) like (laughs) that level of internet. And I didn't know to look for mentors or to explore, to pause. It really was okay, you graduated, now you need to go find a job that pays. Um, And really that is, again, using that formula, I figured, oh, if I do that, eventually I'll get to a place where I'm happy. Yeah. Not necessarily the case, (laughs) not necessarily the formula. Yeah. So what did you end up choosing to do for your first job? So I got a temp job at a health care company, a health insurance company, United Healthcare, which is Fortune 5 company, one of the largest, you know, companies in the world. And it was really I was doing data entry. <laughs> I was like, okay, this pays a good hourly, I'm just going to do data entry. And then eventually they had like a junior project manager position open up and they offered me like I don't know, $50,000 starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, oh, yes, that's great. I'm going to do this for now. And to be honest, I was scared to look at what else could be out there. I was scared to turn down something that was good money at the time for me. And 
again, really just wanted to make sure that I could be financially secure so that my parents didn't have to worry about me. And I was really good at at the job. They they promoted me. They I I did get all of these really incredible experiences, but I also did put my passions and interests to the side. I was just like, I'm just going to focus on this job. I'm going to identify with this job. I'm going to give my all to this job and just hoping eventually someday that means it would equate to me being happy and fulfilled. Yeah. And I'm sure that the recession probably made you even more fearful, like when it did hit a few years later to try to leave your job, right? Yeah. I mean, I definitely looked around. I was actually let go from uh, my job there and rehired on as a contractor during the recession time. And being let go could have been the perfect opportunity for me to go looking for something else. But again, the fear that I had of, well, I need to make money. I need to make sure that I'll be okay. Just kept me picking the safe and familiar path. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually contractor turned into them hiring back on. And so that's how I just ended up staying there for way longer than I was anticipating. And yeah, the recession, the lack of opportunities at that time, really didn't encourage me to go looking and to like say no to something stable to find something else. What lessons did you pick up along the way during this 11-year chapter? Yeah. So I know 11 years, I think when I tell my clients now, they're like, whoa, that's a really long time. (laughs) And looking back, it it really was. But you know, I did receive some great things from it. Again, that security stability. I I was managing multi-million dollar projects in, in my mid twenties. I had all this really great experience from it. I would say though that I, again, with this programming of assimilation and blending in, I didn't allow my full self to come out. I really hid a lot of my opinions. I watered down a lot of what I wanted to say. I experienced discrimination and microaggressions in the workplace. Like, like, oh, that's what's going to happen when you're in this kind of just expecting and accepting it. And I really just identified myself with the job. I I would work crazy hours. I would just want to give my all to it. And eventually got to a place where I figured out like, I am just one of so many in here. Mm -hmm. Um, And this watering myself down, not saying what I actually want is really draining me, is really taking a lot out of me. And getting to a point of, honestly, like I share with some folks, I remember in my early 30s, I like waking up and crying like under the sheets of my bed and just realizing like, I don't know myself. I don't like myself and the decisions that I've I've made from fear and really just realizing I need to change something. This formula that I was given has served me to a point, but now I have to figure something else out. Yeah. And was that a feeling that sort of mounted over time, over years, or did you sort of avoid that and then suddenly it just kind of hit you? Yeah. So so I would say kind of both. So definitely they added up over years and And it was me also figuring out as a young woman, like what my worth is and what my value is. And 
I had actually created a role for myself within the company, which I thought was my dream role. I ended up, I started in sales and marketing and I ended up in corporate social responsibility, doing corporate sustainability. So kind of environmental work for the organization. And I was, I thought that was the pinnacle. I thought, yes, I, I've made it. This is exactly what I want to do. And then when I got there, I realized that it was not what I was expecting, that leadership didn't really support sustainability and that it was really trying to push a boulder up a hill. Yeah. And so at that point, I was really at a loss. I was like, I got an MBA in it, in sustainability to do this role. I you know, invested so much time and energy into it. And now I'm here and I'm still not happy. And I think that point really maybe hit like, hit home all of the culmination of like all these little pokes of, Hey, you're not happy here. Hey, this is not fulfilling (laughs) kind of all culminated to this moment of like, okay, if this isn't it, I got to figure something else out. Yeah. That's so tough, right? Like you had invested the time and money to get this MBA in sustainability and then you got this job that was so aligned and you still were like, this is not fulfilling what I want. Yeah. Yeah. It was really like discouraging. It was really sad actually when I got there and realized this wasn't, this wasn't it. Yeah. And so also I'm curious as an Asian American woman, as a, you know, daughter of Filipino immigrants, like what were some of the unique circumstances or challenges that you faced in the corporate world? Yeah, so there's definitely, there was definitely a lot of stereotypes with being Asian American, especially an Asian American woman. All of the teams that I was on throughout my 11 years there were predominantly male and pale, right? Like Mm -hmm. older white men from like the South or the Midwest. And they expected me to be quiet, to be submissive, to say yes to everything. And they didn't have the cultural awareness to know that was a stereotype they were placing on me. They definitely, I did experience racism and discrimination where they would call me oriental, which is not an appropriate word to use. They would really laugh and make jokes about my culture. And I remember being so mad at myself that I was just sitting there and taking it Um, again, because I didn't have the tools or knew to speak up for myself in those situations. I kind of just thought, well, that's part of it. That's part of the game that I have to just, you know, that I've just play in order to get what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's so oppressive, right? Like you're just like at work and you can't even like stand up for yourself. Completely. And it shows up in reviews also where the informal reviews where they would say, you're not, she's not assertive enough or she's too quiet. And me having to educate them on, give me specific examples of that to kind of challenge their biases or their ignorance around it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think there's elements of that that definitely also show up for Latina women where we're also seen as quiet and (laughs) well, it's interesting. There's two stereotypes or you're either like the fiery Latina or you're like more submissive and and quiet. And it's like, you're always getting multiple messages, right? About what you should be like, sound like and everything. 
Completely. Yeah. I, I think similarly in, in the Asian um, culture, I feel like you're either invisible, right? You're the quiet, submissive, or you're like hyper visible and sexualized and fetishized. And so it's really oppressive to feel like you're just put in one of those two boxes when you're like, wait, I am neither <laughs> of those things. Like, and I am more than more, way more than yeah. just that. Yeah. yeah, we're multidimensional. We're not just like one dimensional. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so tell me about the day that you submitted your like two week notice and finally were deciding to leave. What What did that look like for you? Oh my gosh, it was so scary. I I really have to say it was really scary because it at that time I had a six figure job and I was not going to another job. It was really me just giving myself permission to not work um, and to explore what I wanted. So it was a buildup really over over a few months where it was we kind of came to a mutual de- decision about it. I, I had a feeling that they were looking to also part ways with me. And so really, once I submitted it, it felt like a weight had been lifted off. Mm-hmm. And then what like my last day, and my last day there, I just felt euphoric. I was like, oh my gosh, I, yes, hella scary. Cause I didn't know what was next, but also, wow, this is the first time in my life that I'm not going to have to report into someone where someone's not checking in on me, where I don't have to live up to anyone else's expectations or standards, where I get to do me, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And I just felt a sense of freedom that I had never felt before. It sounds incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I smile every time I think about it because it was a life-changing moment for me. Yeah. And did you prepare for this moment for like a year, two years? Were you like saving money or or was it just like, you know what? I'm fed up. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) No, I I am very pragmatic. I wanted to make sure that I had enough savings and all of that. So I had been saving up for maybe a year. But you know, one of the great things also about being in that job is they did set me up financially. And so really was a discussion with me and my my partner um, at the time and us deciding what we want to do, giving ourselves permission to change things up. So we decided to actually travel the world full time for a year. And so leading up to me resigning was figuring all, figuring those logistics out, saving money, prepping everything for that move. So there was definitely a buildup and plan for it so that and so that I could get to a place where I could feel good about leaving and really leaving on terms that felt good for me. Okay, so you decided to travel the world for the year after you left. Is that right? Yep. Okay, awesome. And so where did you go? We went to over 20 countries. Oh in my that gosh. Year. Yeah. Our I remember booking a one-way ticket to Iceland was our <laughs> first stop. And we really traveled through mostly Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand. And we and it was again, it was the first time that I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have an agenda. It really was me waking up and deciding, what do I want to do today? Yeah. Um, which was just never a question that I asked myself before. 
Wow, that's so beautiful. I feel like people dream about doing that, but it seems so hard logistically to make that happen. Yeah, and I had the same thoughts going into it, but what I realized is, one, traveling full-time is a lot more affordable than living in California. (laughs) (laughs) And logistically, yes, it was uncomfortable, but it also helped me build confidence of, oh, I can just figure out the next country we want to go to and book something and just go for it. Really, it was the first time in my life I was also spontaneous like that. I like to plan. (laughs) I I like things laid out. And so we would really just pick a place, be there for a week or two, and then decide where we want to go next, which was really, again, a level of freedom that I just hold on to. And I know I can't go back to any level of freedom that's less than that. So let's talk a little bit about your life coaching business. How did you find out about life coaching? How did you get certified? What was that like for you? Yeah. So after we traveled, as we started traveling in 2016, we had to come back for my husband's job after a year. And at that point, it kind of really hit me of, okay, I got to figure out (laughs) what I want to do next, because now I'm just home, not doing anything. And I really went on a journey of wellness. And it's the first time I really invested in like my self-confidence, my self-esteem, like figuring out what I want. I read all the books, all the self-help books. I read all the podcasts. I listened to all the podcasts and really started learning some tools and concepts and figuring out why I felt the way I did, why I believe the things that I did, really what the source of them was. Because I think a lot of times, especially working with, um, so I work with first and second generation immigrants. I feel like a lot of times we're so hard on ourselves of like, oh, I wish I didn't feel this way. I wish I wasn't scared about this. And we aren't taught, like this comes from a larger context of the systems of oppression that we were in and that our ancestors have experienced. And just having that context helped me give myself some self-compassion around there's a reason why I stayed in that job for 11 years. There's a reason why I couldn't speak up at work and I can create, I can gain tools to not gain tools to find my voice, advocate for myself. And so I really paused And thought to myself, what do I love doing? What do I love doing that I do for free anyways? And I listed all the things. And really it was helping others reach their goals. It was helping to hold people accountable. It was really believing in someone, supporting them to feel better. And I realized all of this came under the umbrella of life coach. And Okay, life coach is not a career path that ever came out of my parents' mouth. <laughs> that that I think ever any anyone in my family talked about. But really, I had promised myself I I don't want to go back to just something that feels safe and familiar and secure. I really want to do something that lights me up every day. And so I just started by offering like free life coaching to my friends and family to explore if I liked it. I set up informational interviews with other life coaches 
to get the real deal on what it's like instead of maybe this idea I had in my head that wasn't rooted in reality. And once I started just trying it, I it was really the most fulfilling thing and the thing that was like I had total ease around it. It wasn't a struggle, it wasn't hard, but it just felt natural. And so I really took that as a cue of like, okay, let's explore this more. Let's figure this out more. And so I did get training on it. I invested in more education around it. But to be totally transparent, like I'm not certified. I think it's the first thing in my life that I've done without that like piece of paper stamp of of credibility that we're taught to get. I do have extensive training on it. And really a lot of a lot of it has been leaning into my natural gifts, the tools that I've learned, and putting it into practice right away. Um, working with this community right away and learning as I go. Mm-hmm. And who are your mentors, or what are books that you read during that time that really you really impact? A book that I recommend to everyone is "Playing Big" by Tara Moore. M-O-H-R. It was the first book that I read that I picked up. And from the first line, I felt, oh, she's talking about me. Like she's, <laughs> this is me that she's writing about. And really the gist of the book is talking about how women have been expected and conditioned to play small and how to really move to a place of playing big in your life, whatever that looks like for you. And that book really motivated me to go for it and to commit to playing big. And what that looked like for me was pivoting, trying a whole new career and just trying it out, just experimenting with it instead of what I would normally do, which is, well, let me read all the things, get all the degrees, like plan it all out and then try it. That book really helped me to just jump in and see what it, see what it was like and be open to failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how long have you been life coaching now? So I started my business officially January, 2019. So I'm in my third year of business. And again, I work really specifically with immigrant descendant women of color and it has been incredible. The first year, the first year is hard. <laughs> the first year is really hard. Entrepreneurship is a self-development course in and of itself because you're putting yourself out there, you're you know selling yourself, you're trying something new, building new skills. The first year was definitely a lot of that, the hustle, the grind, the getting my name out there. And then last year was actually really incredible. All that work that I put in the first year, I feel like paid off last year. Last year, I officially hit, created a multi-six-figure business and- Thanks. Yeah. And really doing it from a place of love, doing something I love to do. And I showed myself like, oh, I can actually trust myself and do something that feels great and make more money than I did at my corporate job, which was just like a a huge milestone for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And what are some of the major topics or areas that people kind of come to you and want to talk to you about? Yeah. So usually what they come to me with is something around their career, that they're not happy with their career, that they want to make a pivot, a change, but they're scared to do so. And really what that 
that is a symptom of underlying <laughs> beliefs. And so what we end up working on is, again, figuring out who they are, like what they truly want, taking a look at their beliefs, which um, a lot of them come from survival, right? Based on their background of their parents or their families, instilling these survival beliefs to them. And really a lot giving them the tools to release some of those beliefs that might not serve them anymore and develop beliefs that support their vision for themselves rather than what they've been, they feel like they've been expected to create in their lives, what they feel pressured to do to really allow them to create something that they truly want to do. And so there's a lot of mindset work. There's a lot of, again, adopting new beliefs and a lot of breaking generational beliefs and cycles that, again, no longer serve their lineage so that they create new possibilities for their future lineage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how you you called it like survival thinking and how that can be passed down from our parents. And it does affect so much of our, our career decisions, our life decisions, and our belief systems. And so... I love that you're tackling that with your clients. Yeah. Thanks, Priscilla. Yeah. And honestly, it was beliefs that I was operating from on autopilot before. And it's so powerful to realize like, oh, wait, I get to choose like what I believe. I get to choose um, my thoughts rather than this feeling of, well, I just got to keep doing what I've been told. Yeah, I think that's a really big shift, right? When we're like, oh, we can decide what to spend our energy on. How do you balance that with folks that want to really focus on the circumstances of oppression? Mm -hmm. I think that there's sometimes yeah. a, a dance there where, where we're like, yes, and, right? Like, yes, <laughs> that system exists and it's terrible, just like we talked about. But there's also this freedom agency that we're entitled to. How have you navigated like that conversation with your clients? Yes. I'm just like, as you were saying that Priscilla make, yes, like nodding my head with all of that. <laughs> yeah. It is totally the yes. And like, it's not about saying that doesn't exist and that we can just overcome all of that. Right. It is to own that is the reality of what we're living in right now. There are systems of oppression that haven't been built for us. They do impact us. So acknowledging it and owning that and also supporting them to realize their power, like their own power. Because I think what systems of oppression do is they want us to believe that we don't have power. They want us to believe that we don't have choice. They want us to believe these things about ourselves that serve the dominant group, but don't serve us. And so balancing that is, yes, let us, let's own it. Let's address it. Let's maybe mourn, you know, what we wish we had instead. And what do you have control over in those situations? If you were to show up liberated, what would that look like? And to really start supporting them and owning the pieces that they can control, how they can move into self-liberation and bringing compassion into the mix. Of course, it's hard because it hasn't been set up for us. It hasn't been built for us. And so that's why I think, honestly, any client who works with me, any woman who's willing to do this work, I truly see as a revolutionary because she is basically saying, 
wait, I get to exercise my own power in this. I get to change things. Um, I don't have to maybe listen to everything that I've been told before and really reclaiming herself. Yeah, I love that. It's a tough uh, balance sometimes because we want to acknowledge all of the systems of oppression, but there's also just so much power that we want to reclaim for ourselves. Well, Nicole, my last question for you, what would you tell your younger self if you could tell her anything when she was taking that first temp job? Oh my gosh, that question almost made me tear up, Priscilla. Yeah, I would tell her that it's okay that she is scared and that she has more power in her than she realizes and that really anything any path could be realistic for her. Yeah. I think a lot of times we're told only certain things are available to us and only certain ways of living are okay for us. But I just want, I would want her to know you can really create whatever you want for yourself and whatever life you want for yourself. And you already have the power to do so. Love it. Thank you so much for being with us, Nicole, and for being an example of what's possible when we do some of this inner work and start to challenge some of those limiting beliefs. Yeah. Thank you so much, Priscilla, for having me. It's been an honor to be here and just sharing a story. And I just hope it it's helps someone else out there who might be listening. Hey, are you thinking about changing careers? Then you need to head over to my website, ecmpodcast.com and sign up to get your free 20-page guide that I wrote with you in mind. I wrote this guide to help you change careers and get really clear on what it is that you want to do next. Career clarity is key to a career transition journey. All right, can't wait to hear what you think about it. Have a great week.